societally, how do we respond to a, a, a changing culture uh, that is going to be impacted by AI? This is where like like the Old Testament in particular is just really underrated in helping us navigate those questions. If, if God is big enough, then our concerns will not override us. We're not gonna we're not gonna stop sleeping at night because we know that God is on His throne. His sovereign power is still reigning and ruling over all things, and we are here to to be thoughtful, to be considerate, to be to kind of theologically engaging with some of this stuff, but always with that perspective that God is gonna God is always gonna win. Hello and welcome to What Would Jesus Tech? Uh, thanks for joining us today. My name is Andrew Noble. We are a podcast that helps Christians use tech how Jesus would if he were to live today. Um, before we get into today's episode, two very quick announcements. Uh, first off, we have an end of year listener feedback survey. Um, it's all right there in, in the title, listener feedback survey. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, how we can improve in the podcast, what you think we should focus on next year. So head to our website, whatwouldjesustech.com, um, or you can click the link in the show description. Um, also, just one more quick thing that we are going to have a brief pause in the schedule over Christmas as Joel and I spend time with our families, um, but we will pick back up the episodes in January. We might even go to weekly. So give us some feedback in the listener survey if you uh, have more ideas there. Uh, so now to today's episodes. Uh, today's episode, I went to ChatGPT. I said, give me a good description for, you know, a, an intro to the podcast. They gave me something. I didn't like it. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, we need to make sense of this AI progression, this future that we are experiencing now. And so I brought in a couple people that are in the midst of figuring this out. Uh, Dave Betts, um, he's been writing quite extensively on AI. He's got a, a British accent, so you'll be able to distinguish him a little bit. Um, Church and AI is his substack. He's also, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the lead elder at Trinity Church. So some people, do they refer to you as pastor? Because, I mean, elder and pastor are synonymous in scripture. Do you call yourself a pastor? Does that make sense? I, uh, I'm a lead elder who functions as a pastor, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we, it's semantics, really essentially a senior yeah, pastor. Totally, totally. Anyway, so yeah, you got your MDiv, you're 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 in the midst of of writing on this. Do you use ChatGPT to help you write at this point, Dave? I do use ChatGPT. I can't even say it now. ChatGPT. I use it a fair amount, but not usually for the things that people think of. It's usually for idea generation and and often to check kind of my logical reasoning and stuff like that. I I wouldn't use it just to, you know, give me a, a a, a paper or to write, you know, something for me. Cause it's usually not great at this point, but yeah. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, also joining me is, is Austin gravely. And I was able to meet him in person at the gospel coalition conference, um, just a few months ago, which was great. Um, he is a very friendly guy, despite being a guy with a very big beard. Um, and so I appreciated getting to know him. He gave me a hug right away, which was just great. Um, and yeah, Austin, social media manager at the Gospel Coalition. He also had a podcast, uh, Digital Babylon, and it focused on that in terms of his writing. Um, so yeah, Austin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's good to get to see you again. Yeah. Do you use AI uh, or ChatGPT specifically in the midst of writing for the Gospel Coalition? 
No, uh, we don't. I personally don't use ChatGPT in the course of work. I do use ChatGPT kind of along the lines of what Dave said for idea generation and for just if I'm if I'm stuck in a line of thought and I need to break that log jam, I'll throw it into ChatGPT and see if it, it gives me something to move the ball forward. But no, as far as my my immediate work, no, I don't use ChatGPT as much. But if you do any kind of social media work. AI is everywhere. You can't do your job without it. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. And that's what Joel's been telling me. Um, Joel is my co-host. Joel, let's jump right into the open AI stuff. So I think a lot of people will have heard about Sam Altman, the CEO, fired, rehired back into the board. We're recording this episode December 4th. Um, a lot has happened in the last four weeks. Bring us up to speed, Joel. How would you bring break down what has happened and why he was fired in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy to even be talking about this because it was almost a year ago that ChatGPT was actually released a little bit more actually. And that's where Sam Altman and the whole OpenAI team was catapulted into um, preeminence in like people's minds when they think about AI. He was like kind of the figurehead of AI when people start thinking about this technology, he appeared before Congress. Um, you know, so there's a lot riding on the character of Sam Altman. And he, a little bit relevant background, he was at YC, Y Combinator, which is a venture fund that uh, helps startups get off the ground. And he was kind of a figurehead there before he moved on to OpenAI. Um, and he was involved with Musk, who kind of started OpenAI to say like, hey, we need to make AI open because of how powerful it is. It's this whole argument of like, if you give one person a gun, they become extremely powerful over everyone else. So why don't we give everyone guns so they can defend themselves? And we have this sort of democratic capability. The same level of concern is there with OpenAI. So anyways, cutting to the chase. The board at this point a month ago was around six people. There was Sam Altman, um, CEO, uh, Mira Maradi, who's CTO, uh, Ilya, who is their chief scientific officer, um, Greg, who is um, their, I think, I believe, president, and then two others that I think were not like actively involved in the day-to-day -day operations, but were on the board. And it turns out, and you know, actually all the details haven't been publicly shared yet because there's a lot of confusion, but it turns out there was some sort of disconnect internally. And this 3-3 tie on ousting Sam Altman flipped into 4-2. And with that, he was said, hey, you know, we're removing you from the board. Officially, it's because you've done things that haven't been transparent with the board. And, you know, people start speculating, oh, is he trying to do side deals? You know, what is it? But then, you know, the whole Twitter world was really trying to tease anything out of it. There was like Twitter spaces people were jumping into to say that it is a fight between colloquially the decelerationists and the accelerationists, which is kind of two camps of like, hey, let's move AI forward faster or, hey, AI is really scary. Let's like slow it down. And there's like a Q hypothesis. Um, so if you did an MDiv, you heard about a Q hypothesis of the source behind uh, the Gospels. We're not talking about that Q hypothesis. There's a new Q hypothesis of some sort of super intelligence, a super AI, maybe even AGI. 
And so maybe it's related to that. I was seeing some rumors around that. But yeah. Kind of rumors. But yeah. Yeah. The, like, but not the character, not the character Q from Star Trek, the next generation, the <laughs> super genius demigod type character. This is something different. No. Yeah. Like typically, so Q star and to like be very brief on it, um, in ChatGPT and a lot of these large language models that are really language focused, they are often bad at math. They can't do math. So the belief is that, hey, they've had this breakthrough, which might have been put on someone's desk like Ilya and said, hey, you know, we can now start doing math, complex math with this other model that we can start start putting in parallel with the language model. And if you think about your brain, it's like, hey, yeah, you have like a left brain, a right brain, you have the vision center, you have all these different parts. So in creating a mind, the next artificial mind, you can now overlay multiple models and have them work together. So we get closer to, oh my gosh, are we getting to this artificial general intelligence, which is AGI, which right now we're in artificial narrow intelligence, uh, which is like, hey, we can only do a few things, but we can do them better than humans can. Like um, what ChatGPT does really fast is put things together. Right. So, or, yeah. Or chess, you know, chess can be human. Yeah, chess, AlphaGo. But it's not general because it's not an intelligence that can do a wide variety of tasks. That's the difference there between yeah. general and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, it, it, yeah, that's basically the summary is like Ilya, I think, had been a big figurehead in like saying like, we want to get to AGI and kind of communicating that like, it is this big thing that people are underestimating. Um but also at the same time, it seems like he got to a point where he's like, no, no, we need to slow down. And that was where the schism had started. Mm -hmm. And Ilya, is he the guy that's chant gets people chanting, feel the AGI? <laughs> I think so. I think it's also like an internal open AI thing. And I think just tangent, this whole like accelerationist group of people, um, like if I wasn't Christian, I probably would be in this accelerationist camp, which is like, this belief, I know you're like really puzzled when I said that, but it's this belief of like, oh my gosh, we have this power in technology that could really change how society is. And if we can achieve that, like, for example, if we all had personal robots that walked around and could do our laundry and take care of us, that could like solve a lot of problems. So it's like people who look for that in solving problems, but obviously this is in the absence of a theology of who God is and like how that plays into things. So good. Good. Yeah. Dave and Austin, um, you guys are keeping up to date on different pieces of news and yet it seems impossible yeah. to keep up on the AI news. Um, what are anything, any pieces of information that you've learned about AI over the past few months that you think would be helpful to set the stage for what listeners might want to know or need to know about AI developments? Yeah, I think for me, uh, like you say, it's hard to keep on top of everything. I, I described it the other day as feels like kind of climbing up a waterfall. <laughs> it's just impossible. You're, you know, there's so much information. I think my big uh, concern is probably an overstatement, but one of the things that I'm really narrowed in on at the moment is any kind of discontent with this kind of technology is concerning. You know, it's it's concerning if you've got people going in different directions. Um, especially with something like ChatGPT that has catapulted its way forward. I think the big thing I'm keeping my eye on really is this like battle between various countries and how that plays out, you know, because really there is a, there's a, an arms race for AI. And at the moment it's not an issue. You know, of course it's not, it's, we're talking about things that can 
you know, answer basic questions. We're talking about large language models, but, but when, as things progress, I think that's what I'm keeping my eye on is, is how open AI and you know, Google, like I, ju- I was just looking at Google's Gemini AI, which looks potentially to be kind of a, a chat GPT killer. Uh, what that, how that combines with Sam Altman and what's going on in China. There's just this, all these pieces of this puzzle that I'm trying to kind of keep a zoomed out look at um, without really knowing exactly what that's going to look like. I mean, I don't know if you guys have, have seen any of that, whether Joel, you have any thoughts on that at, at all either. Well, and just, yeah. just to clarify too, I'd be interested, who are the players in the race? So there's open AI, nonprofit overseeing ChatGPT. Then you have Google overseeing Gemini. Who are the others in the race? I mean, I'll jump in and say, yeah, yeah, Microsoft, um, who's the other big tech? You have Facebook, who has Llama. I think, you know, yeah, Amazon. If you're looking at every big company, even like not big tech companies, you're like, well, what are we, we, what are we doing with AI? You know, we got to do something. So it's really this, um, arms race and it like highlights the whole, uh, the city's trap, which is like the whole America versus China thing where it's like everyone knows we're like stepping forward towards this confrontation, but you, can't really like step away from it so you just like keep going forward because if you step away you're succeeding or succeeding to their uh dominance right and the tangentially on that like it's good that like um president Xi came and said hey we don't want war and i think that was a good step to like kind of soften this kind of new cold war we're in um but it is interesting because on the ai front it's something where you see like the eu for example is heavily like hey let's regulate everything but then that ends up being where a country like the U.S., who is more libertarian, will have these innovations come. And if you look at like the big technology stack players, most of them are in the U.S. And even if you look at there's a software layer, there's also hardware. It's like, hey, NVIDIA is a hardware company that builds these GPUs that the software runs on. OK, now we're going to ban exports to China. So it's like there really is this whole like arms race. Did that happen? Yeah. NVIDIA didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. President Vina, I believe it's still a ban. So, um, you know, if you're looking at the size of the chips, there's like nanometers, right? So there's like, you know, five nanometers, four nanometers, and the smaller you can go, the more compute you can do and more efficient it is. Um, China doesn't have some of these foundries in-house. Taiwan does. Taiwan's with TSMC. Taiwan Semiconductor is like the leader. And that plays into the, hey, they want to get that. Um, and by blocking them, it kind of slows their technology, um, for everything, for weapons, AI, all that type of stuff. So there's, I guess, like yeah, a lot of this stuff, you may be, like you said, it's a waterfall of knowledge. And if you're not in it day to day, you won't even know that this Cold War is playing out and we like yeah. did this ban and stuff like that. Well, and I think one of the challenges with this whole conversation is you get people like NVIDIA and the, the CEO of NVIDIA saying, yeah, we're going to achieve super intelligence within five years, you know, and then you've got other people saying, well, hang on your your job is to sell these chips so it makes sense to to you know to <laughs> really promote that and then you've got other companies say no there's no way there's no way and partly that's because they're behind in the race and and so it's hard to even distinguish between all the noise what is actually going on you know for people like us you know who are not uh kind of right up there in the field you know hmm. yeah and there's like there's a lot of uh newer players um anthropic is a big one so these are other companies that aren't part of big tech, but they've been a little bit ahead in AI. And then Elon Musk he, is trying to do his own. Yeah. XAI with Grok. Yeah. So I think you probably list off, uh, you know, a whole 
battery of companies that are in it. And then there's even like within just this world of AI, there's like, how does the AI run? So if you're talking to, and this is kind of related to what I'm working on um, at Splunk, where it's like, if you're talking to companies about how they implement AI to actually do a job better or do something more efficiently, they're like, hey, we got this like big cloud bill from OpenAI because it costs a lot to do it on the cloud. So it's like, okay, how do you run that on the edge? Like for example, Tesla, when they're trying to do autonomous self-driving, you're not going to say, hey, there's something in my camera view. I'm going to send it to the cloud and then process it and then come back. You got to do it on the edge. So there's this whole concept. Uh, The edge is basically like in the local environment where the actual inference is happening. So like the car or your smartphone where Apple says, hey, we're going to run Siri on your phone for privacy reasons and stuff like that. So that's like edge computing versus cloud computing is a big data center in some building somewhere, right? So that's a whole concept of like, okay, now NVIDIA has these supercomputer data centers and you may not always want to process data there. You might want to take that and put it on your phone, but it doesn't have the same compute. So how do you do it? Okay, you have to do like some certain like optimizations that makes it less accurate, but now it can run with you. So there's like multiple chapters of like innovation in AI that different people are playing in. And that's probably what contributes to this feeling of like, oh my gosh, we can never keep up. You know, a few years ago, I mentioned to a pastor, I was like, what if we put AI for the sound mixing station in our church? Because we get like feedback and it's like, you know, that's just a person trying to listen to the feedback. But what if you ran an agent that listened to the feedback and then like automatically turned down the gain and he was like, I mean, that sounds interesting. I have no idea (laughs) about this, but that sounds cool. And I was just realizing like, yeah, like I'm probably one of few who are actually thinking like, if you put this technology into the Christian world, what happens? Or even like in our society, how do we as Christians live in this new world? Uh, And that's what's consuming me a lot these days, these type of thoughts. That's good. Cool. Austin, I think we should kind of start to transition the conversation into how do Christians navigate it? I feel like there's two ways that we could go. One is the more almost philosophical acceleration versus deceleration. Should we put a pause on AI developments because of the existential risk, you know, and the the progress? And there's like this kind of big conversation about the future and how much should we trust technology to solve our problems. We have a lot of problems. And that feels almost philosophical, but it's related. It's grounded in how good the tech is today. And then Mm -hmm. there's a more like day-to-day practical, you know, what are the ethics of using this? How should Christians use it? How should a social media manager use it or not use it? Um, And and just some of some of that. So I don't know which I'll I'll leave it to you. Which direction yeah. do you want to go, Austin? <laughs> uh, gosh, it's it's hard because I could go in both directions because I live in both directions. Uh, I'm not only just the the social media manager for the Gospel Coalition, but I'm also an associate youth minister at my church. And so every week I'm working with students in in my area. Um and at the philosophical level, you know, what we talk about when we say should we accelerate? Should we decelerate? It's an interesting idea to discuss, but at the end of the day, these companies and these organizations are going to do what they want. And if we say, you know, we should do this, well, even if some decide, hey, we're going to decelerate, 
if some decide to continue accelerating, then the needle is still moving forward and the goal, the, the ball is being moved down the field. AI's dangers are potentially being developed and, and being realized. And so it's a good conversation to have about what should we do. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of what is being done or what can be done, there's very little we could do to actually change the state of development of AI. But on the practical end of things, uh, you now have the question of like, okay, so my son, you know, hypothetical, my son has a writing assignment. Should he be allowed to use chat GPT for his, his high school writing assignment? Uh, and that's downstream from a lot of other discipleship issues that I don't think have ever been fully addressed. Uh, the tagline for the, the podcast that I, I've done on this subject has been that media literacy is the biggest gaping hole in our discipleship. And as a youth minister, that's not just a problem with our teenagers. It's not just a Gen Z issue. That is an issue that goes all the way up the generational chain. Uh, it's a multi-generational failure of discipleship. And so if you're just now getting concerned with the practical implications of AI, well, that's downstream from a bunch of ethical decisions regarding media and technology that you've already made and have been making for some time. And if you're not willing to kind of go underneath the surface of what you think about AI, you're coming into this kind of handicapped. Uh, if you have a problem with chat GPT potentially writing essays, well, okay, that's fine. That I think there's a good conversation to be had about that. But at the same time, if you have a problem with that, do you have a problem with all of the other AI systems that are in your life that you can't see? Something like ChatGPT is just you know 10% of an iceberg above the surface of the water. Underneath the water, 80, 90% of that iceberg, you can't see it. And the same is with AI. Like The, the question of what you think about AI at the practical level is much bigger and broader than whether you let your child use it as a tool for writing an essay. But if that's the first time you're thinking about discipleship and the practical ethical questions surrounding AI, you're going to have a really hard time because there's a lot of work that you needed to do for other things leading up to AI to really inform how you should respond to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Dave, you've kind of written on this lack of asking the questions we need to ask. I'll, I'll quote you back to yourself. I fear the church in general is choosing collectively to see AI as a novelty and not an agent for utterly changing how we live, work, and minister in the world. There are important questions to answer that go far beyond, can ChatGPT write my sermon illustration for me? Um, end quote. So like, what are the questions that we should be asking that to Austin's point, go go beneath the surface of the iceberg yeah so i think I, i'll kind of preface this by saying that i think there are some existential questions to, to, to ask but i think even that we need to go way before that we're not you know, before we get to this like is ai going to you know take over the world which is often where people go i think we need to talk about okay how is ai going to change our culture how's it going to say it change our society how's it going to change the way uh, our world looks how's it, how's it going to change our economics i mean there are all sorts of predictions that um who's it nick nick bostrom he's got this book called super intelligence and he, he predicts that uh, it could really you know realistically get us to a place where he, he i love the, the phrase he uses it says could make us rich beyond the dreams of average yeah. or something like that you know <laughs> Uh, because the, as produ productivity, you know, the cost of production drastically decreases, you suddenly have cases for things like uh, universal basic income because there's all this extra 
income. Now, I know that's probably going to trigger a whole bunch of people. I, I understand that. But I, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's a reality. And so what do we do with our theology of helping the poor if there are no poor? You know, hypothetically. Now, I think even before that, we've got questions around things like we've talked about a little bit about kind of digital media and, and how disastrous that's been for generations you know that kind of media literacy uh, and studies now are kind of fairly clear that that has not been helpful for young people um i i don't know about you guys i was one of the privileged few who you know social media really got big just as i was finishing high school and so i kind of just scraped by some of that um but i think that as we see some of the damaging consequences what ai is going to do is make it worse you know, it's going to take those bad things and make it worse. Um, I think we've got issues like, um, you know, deep fakes, um, fake news, disinformation, just this um, sometimes referred to as an information apocalypse. You know, there's just so much information coming at you at all times. Suddenly trust in society will diminish even more. Um, And we we could, this is another conversation, but there are things like, you know, the, the horrific effects of, dating apps or um you know spending your life online and not having real meaningful connections i think all of that to say i think our conversations should start around okay what does it mean for us as a church with some of these potential changes coming to be able to provide you know meaningful connection to to be able to recognize some of the changes happening in society not just with ai ai you know we can talk about how we can incorporate ai and i'd love to talk with joel about some of that stuff i've especially like the worship stuff i i have lots of kind of thoughts of exciting things that can happen with that but societally how do we respond to a a, a changing culture uh that is going to be impacted by AI and, and they're talking about it being, you know, the, the next industrial revolution, but like on a on exponential scale. So if that's the case, how are we prepared for that as a church? I think that would be my main concern. Yeah. I think honestly, that's a really, it's a really good point that I guess is hitting with me right now where we can talk about how AI is used, but it's interesting for churches to think about how do we speak to the underlying impact it'll have on individuals. Like for example, the trust one you mentioned, I think is really good where people start questioning trust. And then we as a church have to have like that at the forefront of like in a society where trust is hard, this is why the Bible speaks to it. This is what's important and have those sort of things, you know, brushed up on or at the forefront of churches around the world. Yeah, that's really, you know, the bulk of my writing uh, at this Church and AI kind of substack has really been, let's have those conversations um, because I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm kind of, I'm, I have enough of an understanding of AI to converse, but when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, I'm out, you know, uh, but I can talk about, okay, what does this mean? Uh, and I think that those are the questions that uh, lots of people can engage with, even if they don't have you know, a, a complex understanding of neural networks or convolutional you know, neural networks or whatever, you know, I don't get that stuff, but I do understand the, I do understand people. Yeah. And because it's so unpredictable where this goes, like you have these people writing these books on what the future could look like, but it's really hard. And yet we can learn from history, right? So one of Kranzberg's laws of technology is like, the history of technology is the most important history when when assessing this kind of um, these kind of questions. Um, it was it was really helpful when we talked to Jake Meter and he was like, "Yeah, on one hand, 
he said, I don't believe the futurists who say the world is going to, you know, require the universal basic. He didn't talk about UBI, but he was talking about like getting rid of the poor. It's like, is this, is this really what's going to happen? It's like the promises of industrial revolution did not succeed. Right. Um, and yet also he recognized that the industrial revolution did lead to a lot of alleviation of poverty that we can't just rewind the clock back to the agricultural technology of a hundred years ago. Here we are today. Anyways, I just think about the history. So social media, one example, we didn't know what was going on and yet what did it do? Okay. It created more anxiety because we, though we like connecting with other people, Ooh, fun, good connecting with other people. Paul wrote letters. Why don't we just autom like not automate letters, but let's digitize letters and have more interactions. This is good, but it created more anxiety because when there's people in your face all the time, it's not actually healthy for you. Um, as just one example, that anxiety vector. And then the, the societal one too, like the industrial revolution or like think about churches 200 years ago being like, okay, a car is, you know how people get around on horses? The car is coming. So people are going to be fragmented and they are going to get to choose churches. They're going, it, churches will be democratized, so to speak. Um, it will no longer be this local parish and local community. You know, on my way to church that I'm part of right now, I think I pass maybe six or seven churches just on the actual road that I drive on. And my church is only a 12 minute drive away. So these factors. Like you look at the history, you see the things, the delocalization, the increase of anxiety, Joel referenced the lack of trust. Like we're, we see these pieces and then it's like, wait a second, this is huge. These problems are massive. Like how do we create trust, non-anxious presence? How do we create local communities? Like my mind starts to go to countermeasures and that's where my mind goes. It's like, Let's think about this and be super practical. Okay, here's the potential. Therefore, what do we need now? Is that a good th way to think about this? Like we we theorize, we look at the history, we guess, and then our podcast's job is to tell people, here's how to live in light of that. Is am I thinking about this correctly? Yeah, I think you're I think you're right on the the mark there, Andrew. There's an analogy to what you just talked about in uh family and marriage counseling that I think is actually really, really important for the church to kind of internalize and for Christians to internalize it. Uh, when you're, when you're dealing with, with in-laws or, or, or family expectations outside your, your immediate family, uh, it can be very, uh, stressful if, uh, your in-laws or other family want to, want to try to uproot your life to bring you with them wherever they want to go. And one of the things you have to decide very early on in marriage is that, okay, we're here. You can go and you can spiral off and you can go do whatever you want, you know, over there, but we're going to be right here. And if you want to come here and if you want to be with us, we will be here, but we're not going to go spiral out with you just because you'll be upset at us if we don't spiral out with you. And so I think if we're going to, if we're going to want to tell the world, these things are problems, we have to kind of resolve that, like whatever the rest of the broader world does in terms of spiraling out and not asking these underlying questions or playing into these very, these things that make uh, their lives worse or, or more destructive individual Christians in the church have to decide we're going to be here. This is what, this is how we're going to run our lives. This is how we are going to live 
based on our convictions and do so in a community. And y'all can be all the way off doing that, but we're going to be here. We're not going to go along with all of this just because you'll be mad at us if we, if we don't. Uh, and if we're not willing to start there, if we're not willing to put the foot down and say, no, regardless of what happens everywhere else, this is how we're going to live. We will be dragged along. We will be, we will be brought along and we'll be caught into all of the destruction that spiraling out with the rest of the world does. Yeah. And I think this is kind of, this is the feeling I think a lot of us have is like, okay, we see these things, we have this impulse almost to retract. And it's like, what we really need is a wisdom of like, we're not necessarily saying that we're going to exist in the society where we cut out technology. We're not like full Luddite, right? But we're going to apply wisdom to say, we know these are the negative implications of these things. And we've like really took the time to think about it. You know, one of the challenges is at the pace it's moving, it's hard to create the time to think about it and to really fully absorb what's going to happen. So I think, yeah, we, we really have to do our best to be, you know, in the world and not of the world and like apply biblical wisdom to know what that really means. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we often can go to two extremes. We either dive in you know, head first and don't look at what's coming or we stick our heads in the sand like ostriches and, and hope for the best. And um, I, I kind of mentioned before this, we started recording. I'm passionate about being semi Luddites. I think I don't think it works to be all the way in either camp. I think the issue is that it's like, you know, we talk about being progressive or conservative. It's a ridiculous thing. Progressive values are ridiculous because you kind of assume that you're going up and to the right. Well, actually, there's about a million different things that are going and some things have come down and some things have gone up. And so to just say that we're going up and to the right just doesn't work. And I think it's the same with with AI in some ways, tremendously helpful. And it's naive of us to you know just hide away from it. The reality is this stuff is coming. And as much as we can rage against the machine, there's still going to be stuff that comes, right? There's still going to be uh, impacts from AI that we will have to navigate. However, we there are still things that we can be really concerned about. And, and, and as we talked about some of those things, you know, relationship and uh, some of those challenges as a church. And that's where it's good for us to 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 pull back and go, okay, what is the church? Uh, what's the church is calling? What is the Bible calling us to? as uh as god's people uh that's that's a question that we have to address and it's good to do that now as a preemptive thing rather than a reactive thing and i think that's the big danger at the moment is i think we're just not thinking about it until suddenly we have to and there's going to be uh, a, a real challenge to try and wrestle with something that is gathering a pace that we can't keep up with i love the distinction between the up and to the right like I, I think that's actually the root of some of the conversations around AI in the future is a fundamental belief that technology will make things better or a technology, uh, that, that it will make things worse. Like some people have an answer to that question and that it informs everything else, like every other statement about whether or not we should pause AGI or or pause AI developments and all this kind of stuff. Like, I feel like I've felt this with Joel in our friendship that I think Joel to call you out, you fundamentally believe in your heart, the more technology, the better true or false. Uh, most, mostly true. I mean, I think, I think if I weighed it on a whole, I would say technology does more for us than it takes away from us. Not that it's like purely good, but just like if I had to weigh it, I would say, yeah, I'm pro-technology. 
And I think one of the reasons why you say that is because you have good phone habits. You you decrease your notifications. You're not on social media for the most part. Like you you told me, oh, I should be on Twitter more. And I'm like, dude, no, <laughs> you're 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 succeeding in life. You you prioritize working hard on your job, caring for your family. I've seen you with your kids. You you play with your kids. Like like I actually think part of it is like you've formed yourself, and because you work on the technology, you see yourself almost an instrumentalist approach to tech of you can do with tech what you want. That's what you do in your job. Every day you tell technology what to do. You subdue it and rule it as God taught Adam and Eve to do, right? And But for most people, they don't day in and day out tell tech what to do. Yeah. They have a posture of an AI already on Facebook. You can't have a non-AI filter. You can't mm. on Instagram have a non-AI approach to Instagram. On Twitter, you still can. And on threads, you can. But like fundamentally, people are seeing these developments and they feel out of control. They don't feel like it's an instrument that they can manipulate or a tool they can tell what to do. They do not feel like they can subdue the earth. <laughs> and so I, 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 it goes back to this question of like, do you see technology and going one direction? Do you see it going in the other? Do you see it helping? Do you see it fundamentally hurting? And obviously it's both. But it's just like, like I want to give people some uh, some sense of ownership over their lives. I want to yeah. give them this sense of responsibility, um, and and I think sometimes our uh, what we do day to day influences um, our perspective on that fundamental question. Um, this is where like like the Old Testament in particular is just really underrated in helping us navigate those questions because the the bulk of the old testament story takes place in a in a in a country where people are being dragged there against their will uh, whether it is uh egypt or whether it is uh, babylon you have the people of god who often find themselves in places that they do not want to be in they didn't ask to be here they didn't choose to be here but circumstances are this is just the world they live in what do you do in that world is still up to you. Like what you do living in Babylon, you still have agency there. You still have the ability to choose. The you can you can and you should say all of these things are bad and terrible evil. We have examples of that in Daniel and Esther who were very high ranking officials in the Babylonian and Persian government and yet still criticized those governments from within. But Daniel and Esther as examples again their position or the fact that this was the world they lived in, they didn't abandon themselves to the tide. They didn't abandon themselves to just doing whatever came their way. They recognized this is the world I live in. It's a very dangerous and scary and hostile world, but I still have agency to live under these circumstances in a way that is wise and glorifying to God. And God will, will give me strength to do that. Yeah. And I think that really, even that analogy on the Old Testament touches with me where there are people like Joseph who, you know, is in yeah. this world and he goes into uh, all of this like sinful environment, but God still uses him to lead this foreign kingdom, right? And like prepare for the seven years of drought. And it's like, that's where I'm like, okay, there are a few people um, who will be in a like leadership role in technology in this world. And like, you need to kind of like, lean into that um if that is what like you're being pulled into 
Um, but if not, you need to be aware to be like, Hey, no, I'm not, I'm not Joseph. Right. <laughs> like I'm one of the brothers or something like that. I'm Benjamin. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and not everyone responds in the same way. I mean, to go back to the Babylonian exile, uh, not everyone is a Daniel. Uh, some people are going to be more like Ezekiel. They're going to feel, uh, they're, they're going to experience probably the most extreme consequences of the exile, uh, down with the, the poorest of the poor of the exiles by the Jamar Canal. Uh, some people are going to be like Jeremiah, who are going to be uh, living in the ruins of a destroyed uh, of, of a destroyed city. Uh, the the body of Christ is big enough to where not only will our responses to AI or these other questions be different, but so will our experiences. And so we mm-hmm. we should recognize like the big picture of what's going on. We'll recognize that hey, God may God maybe has sent you to a different place or has given you a different set of experiences that might change the way that you address this, but you have to be wise and discerning to know, okay, based on those things, how then do I live? Yeah. yeah. Well, to take it into the the new Testament, I think the, the, what the passage that's been on my mind is, is Jesus parable of the wise builder. You know, if you think all these sands are changing, storms are coming and all of that stuff is happening. You think, well, where are we, where are we building our house? You know, if it's built on the rock, then, we have this kind of timeless advice and guidance from God to help us navigate whatever AI brings. So there's nothing here that will surprise God and think, ah, yeah, I had all these great plans, but now, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to happen. So right. if we focus on building our house on the rock now, and that's kind of that point of looking back, I think, like, you, you know, I think the Old Testament analogies that you brought up are so pertinent, especially Joseph, that, Joel, that one, mm-hmm. uh, I literally just preached on that that last weekend and so it's very much on my mind about how god has used what was intended for, for evil for good and yeah i think if we have our houses built on rock on the rock that's such a good thing i think with with joseph in everything he did he he was quick to give the glory to god mm-hmm. he interpreted pharaoh's dream uh, when he came before his brothers he was quick to say this isn't me it's not my strength it's not my abilities it's god and and so in those settings when some horrible things were happening and some challenging things were happening in the world he was able to go no i'm where god wants me to be doing what god wants me to do and i can trust him to turn those trials into triumphs ultimately which is uh, the encouragement we could take from him amen yeah no that's really good i i think about building our houses on rock you know the shifting sands of of ai algorithms even like i um just just before we jumped on, I was like, oh, the the number of views on YouTube for our last two episodes was lower. And it's like, well, it's the YouTube algorithm. Like, I can't control that algorithm. Whereas a podcast app um, more consistently delivers what you subscribe to on a podcast app. By the way, uh, subscribe on YouTube. And uh, <laughs> 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 I've got to throw that in. Because, because that's your part. That's participating in ruling the earth, telling the algorithms what to do. You should actually like and comment on the things you like and comment to force the algorithms to teach them yeah. and train your algorithms to, to get you the content that you want. Um, so if you made it this far, you better do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so thinking about, I'm going to work off the Jesus's analogy of building a house on the sand. Sometimes winds come from different directions. And so you build maybe a wall in one direction in a certain way to protect the house because of the winds coming from that direction. You know the winds are coming. What are the winds that are coming from AI 
um, in the future, like thinking about future winds. We're trying to predict where the wind is coming from. We're trying to look at the weather forecast. You guys have read, Dave, you've read books on AI. Joel, you're, you're in it. You're following the trends. With what the future is coming, where should we go? I, I know, Dave, you've talked about being a, an adaptable church. You have some like principles of what we should be thinking about. What are the winds and how should we respond? I mean, I'll mention one wind, and I think it's been mentioned before, is that there will be, it'll affect industry. It'll affect some jobs more than others. So most people here work um, for a living, right, to provide for their family and stuff like that. So I think people do have to be aware there will be a, not to use the word disruption, but there will be a change in a lot of fields and that people do have to be adaptable. I think that like that word adaptability is going to be really important. And it's like, how do we help and empower people to be adaptable? So that's one, one wind for sure. That's at top of my mind. Yeah. I think one of the other areas would be um, relationship. I know I've mentioned this a few times, but again, it's very pertinent to me at the moment that we are more digitally connected, but less socially connected than we've ever been. And I'm, I just don't see how AI is going to improve that. You know, I don't think that's going to make things better. Uh, I, I'm concerned about particularly our young people, um, mm-hmm. especially the the ones who went through COVID and who have come out the other side during those teenage years. That was a real formative time for them, and it was a struggle. And I, I see AI. I see things like there's Karen AI. I don't know if you came across that, but there's twenty thousand people signed up to this social media influencer to pay one dollar a minute just to talk to this false AI. And I think we're going to see things. Uh, I, I just you know I was reflecting on this recently. I'm pretty sure we're going to see things like mega church pastors finding excuses to use chatbot versions of themselves to you know quote unquote pastor their congregations which just makes me cringe but i think we're going to see those kinds of things and in that world i I think we really uh, have to be ready to prioritize those those relationships because i think as those as those winds come as those storms come the best wall we can build is by fostering genuine meaningful connection authentic connection with people um and and finding a way to navigate because i think this relational deficit is gonna it's gonna get found out at some point and i think we're gonna have a huge swath of society saying well hang on i don't i don't want to do my life online with possibly ai you know connections i don't want that you know there was someone who married an ai this year which is just i think pure <laughs> propaganda to be honest but probably um, propaganda honestly but yeah 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 that's what i think but even so it's ridiculous uh, but i think what we're going to find is more and more people saying what i need is real relationship well there is nowhere like the church when it's functioning well that can have that kind of relationship there's no way you can have those kind of meaningful connections outside of a church in the fullness of its calling and so i think that's somewhere where we can really put a lot of attention in i think a, a lot of you know, this last season, if you like, of church life has been all about entertainment and drawing people in on entertainment and then sharing the gospel. I think what we're going to see now is drawing people in on authentic, meaningful connections and then being able to share the gospel, uh, which actually, funnily enough, with my my story as a 19 year old, that's how I got drawn into the church was through meaningful connection. Mm. But, cool. I see. I see two wins that are like they, they have some overlap with each other uh, to go on Dave's point with uh with impact on, on teenagers in particular, uh, we're, we're about to see 
even more floodgates open on the potential for pornography and, and sexual violence through the internet. Uh, I saw, uh, I, I saw a tweet last night of, uh, it's, it's not a revolutionary technique in and of itself. It's just a, being applied to AI that makes it so potent uh, of a still photograph uh, of a person um, being laid over uh, a model and uh, that model causing that person to, to move in a very compelling, very, very convincing way. Not really revolutionary from a VFX standpoint, but when applied at, at scale and when applied using you know, the potentials of what AI can do, uh, now suddenly you have a pipeline for producing the most horrible pornography using any person that you would you would want to use for that. Uh, so we have uh, we have a major as if the pornography problem in the church wasn't already a serious problem enough as is. It's only about to explode. Um, and then a parallel, not 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 pornography, but it has a lot of overlap to it is. Uh, we will start to see more and more just nonsense come through, uh, even trusted and reputable and established sources of media. Uh, there was a story that Futurism broke uh, just last week uh, where Sports Illustrated was caught publishing articles by fake AI-generated writers. And when they confronted Sports Illustrated about it, they pulled all of them. Now, they saved the receipts, and the receipts are pretty shocking. Um yeah. But here's a, a legacy publication like Sports Illustrated, uh, who has been who's been caught creating fake personas, like fake faces, fake bios, publishing just nonsense fake content. And it's one thing when like a fringe weird news website does that. It's one thing when a, a less reputable source does it. But when that kind of misbehavior starts creeping into sources that have been around well before the internet, you know, have our, our cultural touchstones, like something like Sports Illustrated, then now you have just a hyperinflation of information that is just very difficult and hard to trust. Uh, both of those wins, I think, have some overlap in that a lot of the mechanisms that propel both of those forward have some similarities, uh, but the impacts will obviously be felt very differently. Uh, they're and they're both pretty pretty concerning. Yeah, I would just uh, I I know we're running tight here, but I just want to speak one thing of hope. And this Andrew speaks to kind of your point of view on me being like a a, a pro tech person, where I'm like the technologist is hearing this and saying these are valid concerns, and I'm thinking, well, how do we create something where every image has a mark that says like is this AI generated or is this true, right? And you have to do it in a way where someone isn't going to Photoshop the image, but it's actually like a cryptographic chain where it's like a mathematical formula that like can't be faked. And it's like someone has to develop that technology and have to like make this company that everyone says, oh, this is the mark of authenticity that you can apply to your product. So everyone knows like, hey, this is AI generated. This is not. And it has this mark to prove it. I just want to say to people who are in positions that they can kind of go down these um, paths of like, hey, I'm going to build these things. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to help create a world in this AI environment where it holds some ideals of the Bible of truth and love. It's like, you know, be encouraged to connect with people, have these conversations and, and take a leadership role. Yeah. 
No, Can I just add one one thing before we finish? Because I know that I feel like it's been a bit of of doom mongering around AI, probably more than 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 I would like. But I, you know, I think let me give you one example of where it could be really profound is you know translation. So you know, think yes. of all these multicultural churches where you have separate services for you know your Chinese congregation or and you know a different congregation or whatever. You could very realistically in a very short period of time have instant translation and have everyone in one one building you could it's conceivable that we could have a bible in every possible language by the end of this generation you know mm-hmm. so we wow. we need to again balance uh you know along with joel have a bit of optimism and say that actually there are some really profound things that could happen in light of ai with the right foundations in place yeah 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 and that's where like you think about putting AI in different categories compared to history. One comparison is social media. And so there's the undivided attention podcast um, with the creators of the social dilemma. And then they came out with the AI dilemma and they're very much making that comparison. Like the problems of social media are going to be accelerated by AI. And I think they make some good points, Tristan Harris and others. Um, but you could also compare AI to the printing press in some ways mm-hmm. in the proliferation of content, the proliferation of, um, you know, all sorts of tools. Um, AI is, is in some ways a, a platform or a, an accelerant of other things. And so, yeah, it can make translation faster. It can make in, in audio form and written form. And so there is a, there is potential there. And that's why we shouldn't just look at AI and say, Oh, is it positive or negative? Or look at it and say, it's neutral. It's only how you use it. Like it's going to shape us. It's going to cause errors, but we need to be working in it and we need to be guiding it and we need to be educated on it, at least to some degree. We don't need to read every single article written on AI. Do not feel the burden of being up to date on every single piece of information. Um, but to be up to date enough that you know how to live in light of our world. We are supposed to live in this world. AI is part of it. Social media is part of it. We need to be um, honest about what's going on and to see the good in it. And I think that's one of the things that Christianity has historically done well is recognizing the good of the city, the good of the fallen world and, and pointing out that that points to God. Um, so yeah, any, any other closing comments of hope for our listeners um, or, or closing comments in, in any direction. Cause I feel like when there's four of us, it's like, Oh, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about <laughs> this. Maybe I'll add this point. So this is your last chance with the last like three, four minutes. All right. The one comment, Andrew, you mentioned on the printing press. And I recently read a book on how innovation works, but I did not know that actually when the printing press came out, uh, the Muslim caliphate actually banned it. And they said, Hey, this is going to like create all these, the ideologies that we don't want. Let's go to this protectionist thing. And what was interesting, and so you mentioned, is like the Christian world has had a good track record of actually like saying, hey, this is a new technology. It could be scary what it will do. And let's like look at how to accelerate the positives and like use it in a nuanced way. So that is encouraging to me. And yeah, if you look deep enough, you'll see it's happened a lot in the past too. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think to to... Joel's point that yes, AI is is definitely new and, and very scary, but none of this is happening apart from the good oversight of of God and His His providence. Um, he is not 
uh, threatened by this. He is not uh, go to be thrown off kilter by this. Uh, we have not created something that has succeeded in stripping him of his power or his authority or his, his influence. He is still sovereign over both the means and the ends, including the means and ends of AI. Uh, and we have not succeeded in building Babel. Uh, we have yet to succeed in doing that, which means that God is still on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things. And if he is good, that means that anything that he does is good, including whatever happens in our world pertaining to AI. Hmm. Dave, final word? I think I'd echo exactly what was said. I think we can step forward into this world of AI cautiously optimistic you know looking looking carefully at what's happening but ultimately our foundation has to come in our faith you know, it, our, our perspective of god is what determines everything else if if god is big enough then our concerns will not override us we're not gonna we're not gonna stop sleeping at night because we know that god is on his throne his sovereign power is still reigning and ruling over all things and we are here to to be thoughtful to be considerate to be to be uh, kind of theologically engaging with some of this stuff, but always with that perspective that God is going to, God is always going to win. Our ultimate challenge is to still continue to spread the gospel. So whether that's with AI or without AI, our great commission doesn't change. So we can kind of rest in that confidence as we push forward uh, and not get overwrought with worry or concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good guys. Um, yeah, there's so many, so many directions we could have gone that feels like we're just scratching the surface. And yet I feel like this has been incredibly informative. Um, so thank you guys for joining. And yeah, like I, I just, I'll answer the question for myself because for me, foundationally, there is this like cultural mandate. Yes. There is this, um, work ethic. Yes. There is this lean in, you know, Joel, that's kind of a phrase you use a lot of like lean in to build tech. And all this is true. We do have what has been called a Protestant work ethic that's based in our theology. But we also have a Protestant rest ethic, if you will, that we find our rest not in our works, but in what Christ has done for us. And that takes our worry away because if he can accomplish salvation for us and give us the new heavens and new earth, then yeah, he can accomplish a lot more than that. And so we work in light of what he has already done rather than for some uncertain future. Um, our future is secure in heaven. And so I, I take rest in that and that it gives me confidence to lean in in a different way. Uh, thanks for listening. We encourage our listeners to use tech to find rest and to glorify God. That's why we exist. Uh, thanks for listening along with us. Uh, you can follow along with both Austin and Dave as they continue to write, blog, and post different things. Who knows? Dave might come out with a book at some point. Who knows? So, so you can subscribe to his Substack, Church and AI. Uh, you can follow along with Austin. Um, literally follow the Gospel Coalition. You'll probably see his fingerprints here and there on different things um any other place that they should keep up with you austin digital Babylon, oh, is that a good spot yeah my Substack is uh passing through digital babylon and while i'm not podcasting at the moment uh you can listen to previous work i've done uh at the breaking the digital spell podcast which is available anywhere you get your podcast mm -hmm. it's a good good series of episodes i listened to it myself i think your wife even read some quotes she does so that you yes. had a different 
uh, yes. voice sometimes? Yes, yeah. my wife read has read every single quote. Uh, some of them are quite <laughs> long, um, but she has read every single one of them for me. It's been fun to have her do that. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I thought it was uh, a warm, you know, podcast. You have some warmth that you don't have in a written form, and and there's some good in that. Even the tone of how we're talking about AI without having all this fear in our voice, like we can talk about it in a different way. Anyways, thanks for listening. We're wrapping up the episode now. Under an hour. Thanks for listening. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.